I'm thrilled that, that we got to sit under a great word last week. Thrilled that so many of you were so encouraged. I just want to say that uh, just your guys' encouragement and sharing with the elders constantly the ways that God is growing you up more to the image of the Son, uh, Jesus Christ, is just staggering. I mean, it is, it is so encouraging that God is literally uh, reorienting entire lives through his word and through the truth, right, which you believe sets us free. And so um, if, if you're new to this, as, as Mike said, just know that we believe there is truth you can know and truth that can set you free. We don't want you just to know Jesus as a historical figure or a historical man who, who taught things and did things, but to actually experience his life, his death, his resurrection in such a way the Bible will say transforms you. It actually makes you into a new creation uh, where he actually takes your sin in your place and kills it and uh, defeats death in its fullness and offers us relationship with himself and reconciliation with God. So uh, we're thrilled that we, we get to be partakers in that. And if you're wondering why we're happy and why we're excited and why we sing really loud, that's because uh, we should sing really loud about the most important things that exist, namely God and his son, Jesus. And so uh, that's been wonderful. Um, I also just uh, wanted to say, if, if you are newer, this is your first Sunday landing here, I do hope I see you at, at that Cab Connect meeting. It, is, it has been a sweet on-ramp for so many who are uh, just wanting to hear more of the background of the story. Uh, why is this guy from Virginia now uh, pastoring a church in New Jersey? Uh, what did God do a couple of years ago in, in bringing our family and establishing himself here? And what does he want to do uh, through us? So uh, it's a great time to just ask questions and kind of get some more personal touch on what you see uh, here on Sunday. So that's, that's after the service, but I do hope uh, to see you. We are in the book of James. We love to just take books of the Bible. We trust that, that God's revelation uh, to us will change us. We believe that this book, this, this word of God, uh, really perfects us more uh, as we read it and as it reads us, as it examines our hearts. And so uh, we're in James. James is a small letter of the New Testament, and it's written by uh, this guy, James, who is the younger brother of Jesus. He's a guy who saw his older brother in his ministry, Jesus, who was a son of God, yet he had trouble believing that, trouble seeing that, trouble understanding that. He basically says he's out of his mind. Let's get uh, Jesus off the streets because he's claiming things that are irrational for a guy who uh, isn't God. And then he, Jesus ultimately goes to the cross, dies for sin, rises. James sees him, meets the risen Christ, and he's changed to where he is now one of the loudest mouthpieces for this message of Jesus. His brother's no longer crazy. He's God. And he writes a letter. He's one of the pillars of the faith, Paul says in Galatians 2. Uh, he basically goes and starts and teaches and preaches and pastors, letting people know Jesus is who he said he was, and he can transform lives. He can free us from sin and Satan and death, and he can make a way to God and reconciliation. So uh, it's been an awesome book to look at. Let me just uh, briefly remind you what, what James is doing, what he's been doing is he's been writing this book that, that pulls us into joy and away from self-centeredness and sinfulness, okay? So um, what's been happening here is you'll see that um, he knows that what will destroy you is what he, want to pull, he wants to pull you away from, and he wants to call you into deeper waters to swim, which is the glory of God, enjoying Jesus, his son. And um, I keep saying this as we've been talking through the book of James, that um, he gives a lot of warnings, but they're from a father's heart. So his warnings are invitations. They're not warnings where he wants to smite you. He wants to invite invite you into something more beautiful, into something more full, into something more satisfying. And the more you run from that, the more destruction you'll have. And the more you run into that, the more joy and freedom and fullness of life is found. And that's what James has been laying before us. That, and, and really, there's two ways God does this. He does it through salvation, which a lot of books explicitly teach on in the scriptures. A book like Galatians, he calls you into joy and fullness of life through the ransoming work of Jesus Christ. So he has your son, his son slaughtered for you. He has his son die for 
for you. He has his son take your sin. He takes the righteousness of his son and gives it to you. He takes his resurrection, raises you back to newness of life. He gives you his spirit. You partake in none of that. You don't do that. You don't merit that. You don't pray for that. You don't work for that. God does that. God alone does that for you. But then becomes this this road it puts you on called sanctification, which is this process of becoming more and more now like the image of Jesus Christ. And so James is showing you this is the secondary way that he calls you into joy is now that you're on the path to sanctification through your obedience, right? So obedience now for the Christian is something we're excited about, right? I feel like in in church, it's like all these prohibitions and do's and don'ts. It's like, oh man, this is something I don't want to do. It's scary. I'm not sure if I want to be walking on this thing. And, And he's showing, no, this is something that actually frees you. It's something you should be excited to walk into and lean into when you understand the God behind the commands. He's a good dad. He loves us. He's a good father. He's for us. His plan's better than my plan. His will's better than my will. And so we lay down our rights and we submit to his. Um, and that's what James has been showing us. And explicitly this morning, he's going to reveal that evermore. Um, so within this, this is what he's going to say. This is where uh, I believe God wants us to go and what he wants us to see. This sentence right here. Um, he'll reveal that knowing our limitations and understanding God's unlimited nature is the fuel, the, the thing that produces grace wrought obedience. Uh, that's what he's going to tell us. That's what he's going to show us. And he's been saying this in different ways throughout this entire book, but here he's going to say very clearly, once you understand your humanity, once you understand your limitations as a finite human being, and you understand God's unlimited nature in the ways that he exists in infinite perfections, that is the fuel that will produce grace-wrought obedience. So um, I want to start actually just in verse 11, that the text that Pastor McKinney ended with last week, to help us roll into the text this morning rightly. So uh, look at verse 11 in chapter 4 of James, here's what he writes. He says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Um, So James said last week that if we fail to follow God's ways, you don't only break the law, you actually judge it. Now, now this idea is what's going to lead us into the text this morning in verse 13, because um, here's this idea. If you guys think about the law and you think about um, reasons that you obey it or don't obey it, when you break the law on a regular basis, what are you doing? Uh, You're basically saying, this doesn't need to be here for me, right? You're judging it. You sit above it. Uh, You're saying, this is not something I need to abide by. Uh, that's, what, that's what James is showing here is, is you don't believe it's a good thing to be under. That's what you're implying when you refuse to be obedient to that. Um, now, in some places, there are people uh, who break the speed limit. I, I know, crazy. I, those people, right? But, but they, they do, right? And, and by breaking the speed limit, right, what are they implying? I mean, I'm a better driver than everybody else. I don't, I don't need this restriction. I don't need this law. I don't need this, this rule. I don't need this thing regulating how I'm supposed to drive. I know better. I know what the speed limit should be. Uh, maybe everybody else needs this law, but I don't need this law. So you sit above it and you judge it. Uh, you don't submit to it. You, you judge that law. And see, James is getting this, into this idea here, um, this idea of not um, simply uh, believing in Jesus, but actually following him. 
Like, like, he, like you're, you're actually submitted to his ways. Like, First John's going to say, if you claim to love Jesus, you must walk as Jesus walked. Like, it's, it's this idea of surrender. I'm, I'm totally submitted to, I'm surrendered to him, right? I mean, I don't know if you knew this or not, but when you became a Christian, it says that he bought you, that he purchased you with the, the ransom work of Jesus. So you're not your own anymore. You don't call the shots anymore. You, you submit fully to what he says, saying he knows what's best. He's a good dad. He calls me to life fullness of life so I can trust him. That's that's fundamentally the work of the gospel in our hearts as we get on the path of sanctification, and that's what he is going to be revealing here. Now, now, typically, I feel like we view this as some scary thing. Like, I don't know, like, just, just, God, whatever you want, right? A lot of us are like, well, that's just kind of, like, scary. I don't know that I want to, like, fully submit my life to him. Um, And I think the reason we think about it negatively is because we don't understand the father heart of God. Like, you don't understand what God's like. You don't stand that he's for you. You understand that he's, I mean, think about it. When I had, when we had Jackson, I mean, I, I used to think arranged marriages were nuts. And then we had Jackson. I'm like, man, this could be a really good idea. I mean, I don't know if you have thought about that as parents, but because as parents, we're like, man, I could pick better than my kids, right? I, I know who they should marry, right? And, and, so, and so we have this idea that, that when they grow up, you know, we can decide what's best for them. But, but imagine, I know, a crazy day that, that might come where our kids, our children say, hey, mom, dad, whatever you say goes, right? I mean, just, just submitted to you, like your will, your plan, what you think is good for me. I know your heart. I know you're for me, so I, I fully trust you. I mean, I mean, how would we treat our children? Try to make them miserable all week? Now, yes, we'd lead them into things that would refine them and shape them. We wouldn't withhold struggle. We wouldn't withhold hardship, right, that, would, that God might ask us to lead them into so they'd learn certain things. But, man, this is like that text where Jesus says, man, if, if evil parents know how to give really good gifts to their kids, I mean, how much better does God, who loves you perfectly, right, who's a perfect father with no evil in him at all, know how to lead you into life? They want to give good gifts to his kids. I mean, how much more should you trust him that even when evil parents still know fundamentally how to care for their kids? And that's what he's showing here. He's showing, man, there should be this eagerness, this excitement to submit to Jesus. Maybe because I know his heart. I know what he's calling me into. And see, if that's not you, you've never really given your life to Jesus. Because really you're not submitted to him. You're submitted to as much as it agrees with you. Right, so maybe some of us, you've never really submitted, this is lordship salvation. This is actually what the Bible explicitly teaches, that we don't just get fire insurance. We're not people that go, great, man, I'll pick heaven instead of hell. Choice A is better than choice B. We say, no, there's a, there's a God inviting me into life. There's a God that's better and more satisfying than what sin offers me. So I'm choosing him. And I'm submitted to him. So, so now, man, he, he lays before me his word. He calls the shots. Because here's the other nutty thing, is, is a lot of us, right, if we're honest, we demonstrate this by, uh, yeah, I'll obey, but I want to hear what he says first, right? It's like if I were to say, hey, can you do me a favor? What, what are you going to ask? What is it, right? It's the first thing you're going to ask. And then I tell you, and then, okay, well, I'll decide if I want to do it after you tell me what your favor is. So sometimes this bleeds into the church. We all, we all come together and go, okay, well, I want God to tell me what he demands first, what obedience is first before I decide whether I'll do it or not. 
And is there anything in you that says, man, when you come in on Sunday mornings, I don't care what he says. I don't care what he asks. I don't care what he lays before me. I know that I can fully trust him and fully submit to that and fully walk in that and leave here a changed man, a changed woman, a changed child because I am submitting myself to a God who is infinite and I am finite. Like, what's your posture? I was just thinking this week, as I was praying for you guys this week, I was thinking, like, you, could you imagine if, I mean, just God took the couple hundred of us and, and we all left this room going, I'm fully submitted to whatever he wants. How that would transform Bergen County, how it would transform our neighborhoods, transform this church. You imagine that if that was our heart? Not, okay, God, let me, I'll show up today, but, but do you tell me first and then I'll decide whether or not I want to listen to that. I'll decide whether or not I want to believe that. It's, it's very different in the scriptures, and this is what James is doing here. And so James here is going to go in verse 13. Hey, hey, listen to me. You who think you can control your life, you who refuse to submit to the lordship of Jesus, let me remind you of some things. So here's he's confronting the person that thinks they have life all figured out and don't need him. The person who thinks, yeah, no, I don't need to like, listen to him. I can just figure out my way on my own. Look at what he says in verse 13. Come now, you who say. This is an ancient Semitic rebuke. It's actually a really strong word, like, look, you. All right, that's what James is saying, right? You're like, oh, that's what he's saying. Here it is, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. So, so James here shifts gears a little bit, and he's revealing our limitations. He's going, okay, you refuse to submit to the good law that leads you into life, but are you forgetting who you are? Are you forget, forgetting how limited you are in your view and your, and your knowledge and your existence? And he shows here, he says, basically, who are you? And the reason he says this is because he knows these churches in Jerusalem, just like us today in 2018, uh, we think that from birth, our intelligence, our ideas, our thoughts are superior, right? I don't need to come under what God says. I mean, I know what's best. I mean, even though I showed up on this scene in 2001 and God existed from eternity past, I mean, I think I have some opinions that matter. That's what he's just revealing, the silliness of our questioning, the silliness of us trying to sit in God's seat. That's what he's showing here. And so think about this. God lives from eternity past. He's outside of time. He establishes time. He doesn't just know the future, know the past, know the present. It's a place he is, a place he stands. And he decides in his goodwill for his good pleasure and name and renown, he will form the earth. He will create solar systems and planets. And he puts it all into motion. And then he says, I'm gonna, I have this plan of my incarnate son coming to ransom a people back to myself through his purchasing work. So, so he creates the world. Sin enters the scene. Evil comes. There's fractured folly, dismay, discord, and all the while he sends us, uses us, insane, to, to speak his message, relay his message, right? Come back to God, and he's got this amazing still plan from eternity past with Jesus. Jesus, the incarnation comes, lives, dies, rises, and then he, he offers newness of life, right? And then we got the church started that he inaugurates through his Holy Spirit. We, we don't do that. We have no power to do that. God does that. He raises up people through his uh, work and power and authority to, to reach the ends of the earth, and then, hold on, um, you and I show up in 2018 with puny brains, go to public school, flunk first grade math, and we think, hey, I think I got some ideas. I think I, think I know how tomorrow's going to come. I think this is how the world should work. This is how it should be ordered, and James is going, you're insane. 
You see how nuts that is? Do you see how off that is? Do you see how counterintuitive that is? That, that all of a sudden we're sinful from birth with, with a mind that's bent on not choosing God's ideal and we think that we have the answers? We think we don't need the word of God. We think we don't need the, him revealing. We, we just go blind speculation. No, we need divine revelation. <laughs> I love it. So God speaks to us and he tells us He's not silent. That's why I love the Christian faith. That's why I love our God. He's not silent. I mean, if you look in in Old Testament, you see God actually mock other pagan religions because he goes, hey, listen, just have your God say something. Just have him speak. He goes, you know what? That's what sets me apart. I'm a God who speaks. I'm a God who has relationship with my people. It's powerful. It's profound. So James says, come now you. And what's the problem James is rebuking? Now, on the surface, it looks like he's rebuking visions, planning. Well, we know that can't be the truth because he draws from Old Testament wisdom literature all the time. Proverbs will say it's actually a foolish person who doesn't plan well. In Luke 14, we saw when we studied Luke that Jesus says in Luke 14 especially, it's, it's wise to plan, it's wise to steward, it's wise to save. So what is James' concern? James' concern is he's always concerned about is the heart. And what he has here, it's an attitude of the heart around the planning. So it's not planning that's a sin, it's the attitude of the heart. Now, I've said this before, listen, some of you guys think sin is only external behavior, the things you do that are wrong. No, sin is much more a state of the heart that leads to behavior. Okay, so that, that's what sin is. So there is behavior in your heart, there's something happening in your heart that leads to the sinful behavior because of what you're feeling and what you're believing wrongly. And so that's what he's showing here in this text. It's an attitude of the heart around the planning because he's later going to say, you boast in your arrogance. Now, now spiritually, it, it, what he's showing us here is really this is a boast, not a plan. This isn't right-wise planning. It's a boast. Now, spiritually, if you look at the scriptures, boasting is this, is this idea of spiritual warfare, this idea of I'm going to take the city. We're going to run down those people. We're going to set fire to that place. Like, it's this boast. We're going to do this. We're going to achieve this. That's a boast. And so what he's showing us here is boasting is the confidence that enables you to face life. So where is your boast? Where's your confidence to face the day? Where's your confidence to face tomorrow? And here he's showing you, James is showing you, you're finding personal confidence in something outside of God to face the day. You're finding something outside of of Jesus and his authority to face the day. That's where your confidence is, and that's the problem. That is the rebuke. And so he's showing your confidence is in your strategizing, your research, your planning that gives you ultimate confidence to face tomorrow. This is the person that says, I'm ultimately in charge of my future. I'll decide how tomorrow's gonna go. I'll decide how next weekend's gonna go. I'll decide how this church service is gonna go. Um, and he's saying the problem is it's a total illusion. Like, I mean, listen, um, this is opposite of the heart, the humble heart, not the boastful heart that ultimately says whatever happens to me is ultimately outside of me. And if I get any good, get any help, it's divine help. This is Jeremiah 9. I love it. He goes, man, don't boast in your wealth. Don't boast in in your riches and how much you stored up for yourself. Man, if you're going to boast in anything, what does he say? Boast that you understand and know me. So that's a good godly boast. 
So this is why James is saying, you may not want to admit it, but you lack a lot of knowledge. I don't care if you have a PhD, I don't care if you have a doctor, I don't care if you have a master's, I don't care if you're in first grade or you've graduated, you lack knowledge. You know some things, but not everything. You're limited, and you're planning out 2018 when you're this little human being forgetting the unlimited nature of God. Um, Listen, if we're honest, um, we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? And wouldn't this be humorous? Uh, If I hit out pens and paper and we all got our pads out and we started writing down what tomorrow's going to be like, the things we're going to do, and then I bet 100% I'll put all my chips in that by tomorrow night all of us are shocked at how Monday went. Well, that, that didn't go how I, that didn't. Well, man, I wanted to get to the grocery store, and then my kid had a meltdown, and then, I, man, I wanted to do this, and then my boss called me in, and I want, yeah, I mean, we have no control over tomorrow. You can make plans, you can think, but ultimately, we only have so much knowledge. This is why Proverbs 27 says, don't boast about tomorrow, you don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. So here he's showing us, is it a sin to have plans? No. Proverbs says it's very wise. It's very wise to seek counsel, very wise to plan. Um, is it a problem to have a schedule and have things organized? No. Um, praise God. It's the reason some of you guys made it today. Amen. Congratulations. You had a plan. Got to be there at this time. You showed up. You win. This is a win, right? So you planned. You thought out your day. You thought out your Sunday. You thought out your week. It's not a plan to have a vision, not a sin to have a vision, not a sin to make a plan, not a sin to be organized. Here's where he gets into the problem, verse 14, and it'll show us the solution too. Uh, verse 14, what is your life though? He reminds you of your limitations. For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So he goes, not only do you not know tomorrow, not only are you incapable of knowing how tomorrow will run its course, you don't even know if there's gonna be a tomorrow for you. Wow. You're not promised that. No, I know this, this can get into some hard roots. Some of us have, have woken up and had that phone call where we lost someone we loved or we, we hit the, the reality, the fragility, the, the humanity that is us where we thought we would have others and we woke up one morning to find out they were lost, right? I've had that. It's unexpected. Can't plan for it. We don't know if there's going to be a tomorrow for ourselves or for even those that we know. We have no ability, no authority to decide that. And and this is what James is getting at here. He says, you're like a mist. He goes, have you ever thought about your life accurately in the span of eternity? Like a mist coming off a kettle, you know, it just whistles, then it's gone, right? There's language throughout the Bible. I think David says we're, we're like a shadow that you see. We're like a hand breath that you just, you breathe out on a cold day, you see your breath, and then it's gone. Like, like that's our life in the span of eternity. Like you're just a mist. You're just steam. So what James is saying is you're not sovereign. You're steam. Like you just, you just show up for a short time, and then you're gone. He goes, man, in the course of eternity, in the course of the cosmic redemptive story of God in Jesus Christ, man, you have to see your life rightly. You have to think and remember that you're so limited in the ways that you see things and understand things, and God stands outside of that time and is unlimited in his eternal value and ways. 
So he's going to get at this idea of what are you submitting to at the end of the day? Where's your confidence? Because the way God designed our life is very transitory, right? I mean, we're passing through. This is themes throughout the scriptures. We're, we're sojourners in a foreign land. We're citizens of another kingdom. We're, we're just passing through this life, right, on our way to the eternal shores of glory. Like, this isn't our permanent home, Paul says, over and over and over. If this is our permanent home, then we should invest all of our life in here and now. And he goes, if it's not, we should be investing for what is going to ripple into the future and reverberate into eternity. Challenging. Our life is not meant to be lived as if we have all the time in the world. That's what James is saying. Now listen, this is the, this is the burden of, of preaching. I mean, because I know I literally have no ability to prepare us. Even the, the, the little that I know, and I don't know a lot, so that's not a lot. So I, even the very little, little, little I know that I can understand in my, my funny, puny brain, I, I can't really understand, but nothing I say can fully prepare us for the shock of what it's going to be like when we stand before Jesus. Nothing, like nothing I can say. And, and how many of us are going to live going with so much regret going, man, I, I wish I could go back and do this. Man, I wish I had I'd been told life was a vapor. I wish I'd been told life was a mess. I wish I'd been told the, the seriousness of sin and the holiness of God and that he's for my joy. And that's why for some of you today the day is the day of salvation. For some of you, man, you're, you're but a mess. You've been putting off repentance. You've been putting off Jesus. You've been thinking, hey, when I get older, then I can take him seriously. When I get older, I enjoy the world for a little bit. And you're, you're buying the lie that Satan had you gripped upon, and God wants to rip you from his grip into the grip of Jesus to show you you can be a free man, free woman, free child in his grace, knowing joy now, not just in eternity. And he's saying, man, grab him now. So, so Sunday morning, as we live our weeks, I mean, today is the day of salvation, they say, in the book of Acts, because you do not know how long you will live. You're but a mist. Now, that's hard for us because we think we deserve everything. We think we deserve the long life. 99, fully healthy. Now, listen, you can do things to influence your life. You can eat healthy. It might prolong your life, but it doesn't cure your life. Last time I checked, death is hard charging 100%. No one's escaped it from the beginning of time. And this is what he's revealing to us. Um, Jonathan Edwards said this, and I'm paraphrasing. Um, one of the greatest lies people believe is that they have all the time in the world to prepare for eternity. Is that you? I have all the time in the world. I'll choose Jesus next Sunday. I'll come back and keep listening a little longer. I'll submit to him when I'm 30, not now I'm 20. I mean, I'll really give my life to him once my kids are out of college and it's just me and my spouse again, and then life is kind of sane. Where are you on that trajectory? It's very sobering what James is saying. James is trying to pit the limited nature of man and the unlimited nature of God together in such a way we see that he existed before time and stands outside of time. He knows the future, stands in the future. He's all powerful. He knows everything at every level, and we don't. Listen to just some of these texts that talk about who God is and how good it is to be in his refuge, in his hands. Psalm 115.3, I'm just going to read them. Listen, God is in the heavens. He does everything he pleases. He's unlike us, man. We, we can't do all that we please to do. We're restricted. God's not. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He'll turn it wherever he wants. 
People in authority, God will turn their hearts wherever he wants. They're not ultimately in authority. Some of you guys are losing your pants off of people in authority. Going, God's in authority. God's over them. Yes, we're called to do, act, make petitions, but at the end of the day, we're submitted to a good God who knows all and works in all. I mean, I'm not going to lose my mind over that because I know who sits on the true throne. Where's your confidence? Where's your anxiety stemming from? It's not knowing God. It's believing that you have abilities and authority. Jeremiah 32, I'm the Lord. Nothing's too hard for me. Nothing. That includes everything. Nothing's too hard for me. Listen, and in case you're wondering if anything's too hard, just look up at the sky one night. He just said stars, and they showed up. Last time you said stars, nothing happened. All right? Proverbs 16, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord, even the seemingly random events he's in control over. I'm just reading the text, in case you're wondering. Psalm 147, he determines the number of stars and calls them by name. Great is the Lord, his understanding has no limit. No limit. We're so limited in our understanding, his understanding has no limit. What a, what a good God to be under. The God who can see all and knows all, not, not me in my, in my limited view who I can trust, who has a father's heart. Ephesians 1.11, he works everything according to the counsel of his will. You're not in there. He works everything according to his will. So he sees a good plan, a good purpose. He works everything in accordance to. Now, if you follow that text, if you start back in verse 1 from Ephesians 1 all the way to 11, it talks about the amazing, ransoming work of God. In every level, in your forgiveness of sin, in your adoption, in you giving you the Holy Spirit, in him calling you his own. He talks about all that, and then he says at the end, man, I did all this because it was good to me. Like, my will, everything I do will work out according to exactly how I want it to work. So God does all, sustains all, wills on all. Now, here's the issue. This is what James is getting at. Um, It's human pride that loathes this idea. It loathes this idea the suggestion that God is ultimately superior and ultimately sovereign, that he ultimately orders everything and controls everything and holds everything and sustains everything. Because this is the fundamental sin back in Genesis 3. I don't want him to tell me what to do. I want to be God. I don't want him to be God. I don't want to submit to his good lordship. I mean, idolatry, the fundamental sin of the cosmic universe, treason against the king. You're not good. You're not holy. You're not just. My life is better out from under your protection. My life is better out from under your ways and will. It's fine. He says, run that race. It's exhausting. Search for meaning. Search for purpose. We saw that in Ecclesiastes. You're not going to find it. If you don't know where you're from and you don't know where you're headed, then you won't know what you're supposed to do here. And James is reminding us of these truths James is going, if there's anyone who has the right to have final authority, anyone who has the right to boast, it's not you. It's him. He's the one who knows all. He's the one who has the plan for tomorrow. And he's the one who knows how exactly your day should go tomorrow. He knows exactly how my day should go when I leave this place today into the evening. Even the things that are heartbreaking. He knows. He's, he's for my good. He's working out back to chapter one in these trials. He's, he's allowing these trials in my life to create depth in me, dependence on him, reveal my depravity, reveal my limited nature, and fully trust in him and run to him. 
and enjoy him. He's showing the true foolishness of self-exaltation. Really, we have no ground for boasting in anything, right? So James is showing when you try to jump into God's job description, it leads to overconfidence in one sense, right? So if you try to be God in your day and plan out everything, you're going to be overconfident. And guess what? You're going to be miserable when those plans don't come through. And at the same time, he's showing here that if you do know the future and you think you can control it, that leads to underconfidence because there's this constant anxiety. There's this constant worry. I mean, think about what worry is fundamentally. Worry is my life is not going as I think it should go, right? If I was in charge of my life, it would be going differently. See, worry only comes when you know. It's actually great to not know tomorrow because then we don't try to have confidence and control it, and we also don't try to just let God do, or we, we let God do whatever he wants, but it leads to this place where we're not overly confident, not underconfident, but right at ease. Where God says, I have your day, I have your tomorrow, and this overconfidence and underconfidence is birthed from the illusion that we know enough to be able to control through our planning and working and strategizing. So here's a solution, verse 15. We all want a solution, right, at this point. Okay, well, show me the wisdom here. Like, like how do I live? Okay, I'm, I'm, you're showing me that, that I'm limited in, in nature. God's unlimited. Verse 15, he says this. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, your boast is in your arrogance. And this type of boasting is evil. It's evil because it's Genesis 3. It's the evil that kicked you out of the garden. And here he says the problem he's showing is not that we have visions, not that we have plans and pathways. The problem is it doesn't include him. That's the problem. You plan and you don't pray. You, you don't make your plans are wise then fully submit it to the Lord and say, okay, now you call the shots. I'm, I'm going to do my part. You gave me legs. You gave me a brain. You gave me arms. I'm going to walk. I'm going to use them. I'm going to do what I can, but I'm not going to step into your job description. And if you change course, okay, cool. This is why it says in Proverbs 16, you plan your steps, but, or you plan your way, but God establishes your steps. It's this awesome dance, this awesome tension that we constantly live in. See, the problem arises when you do it in arrogance and not humility, when you seek your will and not his will. So to live wisely is to plan and submit to the sovereign care and control of God. Man, God, there's no place I'd rather be. Man, I'm going to make my plans. I'm going to lay out this life as best as I can see with my limited vision. But at the end of it all, I'm going to leave the chips in your lap. And if you want to course correct, great. I'm submitted to you. Living my life open-handed. It's this, this very beautiful, free way to live in how God has established us. So James is saying some of you guys are living your life like a functional atheist. God's not even in the picture. You make all your plans, you strategize, you organize, have your charts out. You don't ever seek his face. You don't ever seek his word. You don't ever get on your knees in prayer. You don't seek godly counsel. You just make your plans and you never say, well, God, ultimately, you know, if you will it. And you're just living just like anyone else who's totally detached from God, does not need God, and thinks by their own planning they are boasting, and that's evil because they think they have the final authority. And you show, you don't have the final authority. God does. He could course correct tomorrow. You could be headed to work like you're supposed to, and he could course correct you. 
Amazing what he's showing us here. James' point is that our future plans, which are right and good, should be informed by, fueled by, driven by a greater reality. They should be fueled by, it's not that your, your, your dreams and your plans and goals are evil, but rather what's driving them? What's driving your dreams? What's driving your visions? What's driving your goals? Is it the name or renown of Jesus? Is it him being glorified? I feel like we, we have these situations and these experiences where uh, so often we'll, we'll go to counseling or we'll meet with someone and, and the goal is just to like stop something. So man, I, okay, I got an issue with lying, so I wanna stop lying, period. Or I got this addiction to, to sexual sin and so I just wanna stop, period. Or man, I drink a lot, so I just wanna stop drinking and smoking and doing drugs and, and getting in these addictive habits, period. Instead of, man, I don't wanna do and not do so that, man, God might be seen, so that God's glory might be advanced, so that people might see a better treasure in me, so that people not see, so it just does and doesn't do, but man, a, a God who he's holding on to, a God where he's seated, right, at the, the right hand of God, it says, seek Christ. That's where your mind should be. That's where your hope should be. That's where your place should be. We, we lay our lives out. It says, no matter what you do, do all of the glory of God. So someone sees, you plan, you do all this. I mean, you organize vacation, not just so you can enjoy your family, but so that you get renewal with God, right? I mean, what's the motivation for that? You plan, you strategize so you can care for your family and also so you can give money away and steward it to the kingdom of God. Like what's motivating your decisions and your dreams and your planning? Is it so that God might be praised or so that you might be praised? so that I can be seen in my promotion or so that people might see the promotion and praise God because they realize how weak I am? Is there a humility or arrogance in the ways that you live? And that's what he's showing. That's what matters. And this is why he says, and he ends here in this great place in verse 17, he says, so whoever knows the right thing to do, so, so now you're being led by the Lord. You know, okay, if you will it, I'm making plans, I'm preparing. He says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now this is what's interesting about this particular text. <laughs> Most of us are like, all right, like, I know all the things God prohibits, so I'm just going to not do what he says not to do. That's sin. James goes, oh, hold on a minute. Um, if you don't do the things that he asks you to do, that's sin. Not just a sin of commission, but omission. So if you know he's leading you to walk down a road, he's calling you to give this particular thing, he's asking you to lay down a right, he's asking you to repent of this sin, and you refuse not to, that's sin. See, a lot of times we just see it as prohibitions. Well, just tell me what not to do, but we forget God calls us into great things. God calls us into good works for his glory. He calls us into places to where we can advance the kingdom of God. What, what, a, what a glory, what a privilege, what a great place to be. It's not this fearful surrender. It's, man, you're, you're calling me into things. And when I say no to that, that's sin because I'm, I'm not following what you've said. I'm not submitting to your lordship. I'm not submitting to the Holy Spirit in my heart. He's saying those very ways are sin as well, the things he asks you to do and you refuse to. When he says, here's where I've called you to walk, here's what I've called you to do, it's sin to not follow that. So understanding now, James is showing us, your limitations, your place and limitations before God, you now have a relentless pursuit of obedience concerning every area he's asking you to walk. Why? Because you don't know the future. Because you can't plan tomorrow. And you know he does plan tomorrow. So man, I, I better walk where he's calling me to walk. 
I better submit to the areas he's asking me to submit to. He knows that I'm a mist. He knows I'm frail. He knows that I'm short-lived here. So he's going to exhaust every saint's life to do everything that's necessary for his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. That's profound meaning in our life. That every day matters eternally. Every day we get up, no matter what we do, it matters inexhaustibly because of the author who is leading us in those things. So when he calls us into these things, he's not trying to take and steal. He's inviting you into something more beautiful. He's expanding your yard for you. That's amazing. See, all this ties to have you surrendered to God or do you just judge it, his law, or do you just gladly sit under it? Not to save you, but to sanctify you. Jesus fulfilled the law for you. Jesus alone saves you. None of your obedience, none of your faithfulness, the Holy Spirit's leading is ever gonna put you on justification. And I wanna make sure that's always clear. No matter how much you do on the road of sanctification, they'll never put you on the road of justification, him declaring you righteous and making you holy before God. Okay, he makes you holy before God. He does that with no act of your own and that puts you on the path of sanctification where now we're invited into something awesome. We're invited into joy, as we heard last week, to pleasures forevermore. He's calling you into things. I mean, when was the last time you said, God, what do you, what do you want for me? Not what do I want for myself, not what do I think is right for my family, not do I, what I think is right in a job, not what do, what, what do you want for me? Because so often we look at the negative, like what's God going to take? And he's going, no, what, what do you want me to be led into? What do you have for me? What good works have you planned in advance for me to walk in? Ephesians 2.10. What are those things? I want to be in those things. Now listen, before I get to just some application for you, for many of us, we can look back at this week. And this is what James does. He brutally lays before us where we fall short. Almost all of us, or all of us, not almost, all of us can look back at this week and go, well, yep, I was supposed to be obedient there and I chose not to. Yep, that was an area where he was calling me to actually open my mouth to that person or he was calling me to serve that person or love that person or, or care for my spouse in this way or my children or, and I didn't. I wasn't obedient. And, and here's the thing, man. Without the cross of Jesus Christ in the background, James is a book that crushes you. And what I love is he constantly brings you back to, constantly reminds you, even in the ways that you fall short, you have a God that's still made a way for you. He knows you're but a mist. He knows you're frail. He knows you're limited in your view. He knows what it's like. He identified and put limitations on his son. Didn't make him any less God, just put limitations in his earthly side, his humanity and his divinity, in his humanity, so that he could identify with us to go and ultimately save us and rescue us. I mean, this is, this is profound here, what he does for us. And so the cross of Christ here, as he reveals our shortcomings, stands behind it. And it's the gift that continues to send you back to the cure for all the ways that you will fail walking what he's asked of you. Because even on your sanctification, you're going to fail. Even in your sanctification, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss his leading. You're going to be disobedient. And, and the cross of Christ still holds you. That was last week, man. Just you walk in humble repentance once you stare at the beauty of the gospel long enough so that you remember no matter if you are growing in sanctification, you remember justification has happened for you and it empowers you still today. The gospel is not just something that you did or trusted in or walked an aisle for when you were 15 
and then, okay, now I move on to greater glories or better things. Man, that is a horrible Christian message. That is still merits. That is still exerting exhaustion on ourselves for trying to win back what God already won for us. Man, he won you to himself by his own authority. And you can still enjoy that and repent and turn to him because it holds you fast so you don't get crushed. But then moving on from that, let me give you four things. Practically. This is a lot to hear, a lot to discern. Uh, And I'm going to trust the Spirit to flesh these out. Number one, uh, you need to agree with the Word of God before you agree with people, the Word of people, right? Yes. Thank you. Um, We go around through our days going, yeah, this is what I think. Hey, what do you think? Hey, what do you think? Hey, Oprah, what do you think? Dr. Phil, what do you think? Hey, The View, what do you think? Hey, CNN, what do you think? Hey, Fox News, what do you think? Hey, it's just stupid. It's just exhausting. What does he think? (laughs) Get your face in your Bible and ask God, man, what do you say about this? How do you call me to live? That's why I love Sunday mornings because he reorients us, right, and gets us on the path. Says, oh, this is what God said. God wants to speak. God wants to say things. So, man, we agree with the word of God ever before the word of people. Uh, maybe you are, some of you are wondering, what is it that God's calling you to be faithful in today? Um, Listen, the first thing you need to know is his will for you is not some end result. I I don't know where that got picked up. When I'm 80 and I'm finally doing the thing I love to do, that I'm wired to do, then I'm doing his will. No, your will is something you walk in every single day. He's already told you his will and his word. If you're married, love your spouse like Christ. If you have children, raise them up in the ways of the Lord. If you're working, do it as an act of worship for his glory. If you see a poor person, care for him. An orphan, care for him. Don't show partiality. Conform your mind to the image of him and not the image of yourself. May flee sexual immorality. He has a list. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He's already said it. I mean, it's so crazy to me how people all the time come and sit down going, I just want to know his will. I don't know if I'm in the right spot. Are you in the palm of Christ today? You're in the right spot. Like, you're, listen, if you're saved, you're in the right spot. You're in his will. And then he's going to use you today, wherever you are, for his glory and not yours. So most of the time, a lot of those questions are really birthed from pride. Well, I really want to make something of my life or my... No, no, no. God made much of himself already through grabbing you. And that's the goal. Because at the end of all this, man, no one's going to praise us. No one's going to be standing there going, man, look at me, look at me. No one. Look at him. How awesome, how merciful, how kind, how gracious. So now you're free You're the most free man. Your identity is fixed and set. You can do whatever God calls you into because you are not enslaved to your identity being linked to something else. It's the most freeing message in the world. That's why we want people to know it. They're enslaved to their sin of selfishness and self-absorption. One prayer I pray every morning that I encourage you to pray. It's one sentence. I pray more than one sentence, usually. But, but, and even if I did, so what? So, so, hey, it's the power in the, in the prayer. God doesn't say pray this many words. Anyways, I pray every day, and it just so helps me put my heart in a right place. I pray, God, just give me one day of faithfulness. I pray it every day, every day. God, I cannot control what's coming tomorrow, and I have no idea what's coming. 
could be the best day of my life or the worst day of my life. Yesterday, there were many faults, many failures, many stumblings. You, you canceled them in the cross of Christ. I'm not going to look in my rearview mirror. I'm going to stay looking out my windshield. But man, just today, whoever you lay before me, whatever person you bring across my plate, the issue, the counseling, the need, help me just to be faithful with it today. Help me to be faithful to my home just today, just today. I failed yesterday, man. Help me to wake up with a new vision today. Just be faithful with what I have today. Live in today. You're a mist that appears for a short time and then vanishes. All we do know is we have right now. And all I know this afternoon is I will have this afternoon. So agree with the word of God before the word of people. Number two, then agree with godly people, not just any people. Listen, we can all find people that will justify things. We all know who to go to. (laughs) Find find godly people. Find the right people who actually care about you. Your friends, your pastors, your fellow saints who who genuinely care to help lead you in the way that's life-giving. Man, if you're wondering about decision-making and questions, man, try to find godly counsel, not just counsel. People that are tied to the vine, people who are tied to the word, people who are people of prayer, they hear from the Lord. Go to those people. Seek wisdom from them. Number three, and this is I want to spend a minute on, agree with the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, This is missed in so many places. Um, In a situation, this is how it's been breaking down as a pastor right over uh, this place, is um, I need to begin asking myself, God, what needs do you want me to meet? Like, I have to ask him, because I don't know. If it's up to me, I'll try to meet all of them. Right, so you, you stop. As God lays something before you in your day, you stop, and you literally appeal to him. I know it sounds crazy, right? He's a real person. The person, the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinitarian God that we worship. It's not God, Father, some Bible. It's God, Father, Holy Spirit, man. Like, he's in you. He's leading you. He's counseling you. So stop what you're doing and literally ask him, God, what do you want me to do in this moment? Do you want me to meet this need? Do you want me to call this person? Do you want me to serve this brother? Do you want me to see that need? Do I need to go meet that? If I do, if you are saying do it, I'll go do it, absolutely. If you're not saying to do it, I'll continue to trust you, continue to submit to you, continue to entrust them to your sovereign care. But you, you ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in that. Now, the problem is uh, some of us can't discern his voice because you're filling your head with every other voice. Uh, Jesus says, no, my sheep know my voice. They know when I'm talking. They know what I'm saying. That's why even in this, I mean, you come to hear the word of God, right? You don't come to hear Mike. Is Mike saying stuff that's true? Am I hearing God's voice in that? So, so have, do you, because listen, if you're not in the word, if you're not in prayer, if you're not with others that are attached to him, you're not going to learn how to hear the voice of God. You're going to be just walking around like a mime, just looking for it, looking silly, trying to guess. And God says that he's given us his spirit to lead us. And this is the beauty of Sunday. God is ordained to speak, to reveal himself, to tell us the things that are true about him. You know, then what happens, which is great, is the Holy Spirit will lead us just like he led Jesus. I mean, you see that throughout his ministry. Um, When God became man, he willingly placed limitations, like I said. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. Uh, He only had 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week. 
Um, did you know it says he took a nap? Praise God. Right? Okay. And that's worshipful. That's as worshipful as healing a demon, preaching, teaching, hammering nails appropriately. He only did what God instructed and the Spirit led him to do. And when God said rest, take rest, he took rest. When God said work hard, he worked hard. When God said preach, he preached. When God said heal, he healed. When God said speak, serve, love, he speak, serve, loved. And what's amazing is you get to the end of his life on a day where he, it was not right for him to teach, not right for him to heal, not right for him to take a nap. He atoned for all those who would trust in his name. And he did exactly what he was supposed to do, nothing more, nothing less, on every single day he was given. Because he was led by the Holy Spirit. Man, when he went out in the wilderness, it says the Holy Spirit led him out there. This is awesome. He did every single one of those good works that God had given them to do, and some of those works were resting. So listen, Bergen County, crazy. We got to work 17 hours a day. I'm preaching this to myself. Maybe some of the reasons we're exhausted and extended is because we're doing a lot of things the Spirit's not asking you to do, and you're not doing the things the Spirit is asking you to do. Okay? I'll say it again. I'll say it again. I mean, many of us, right, exhaustion, extended time. You're not doing what the Holy Spirit's asked you to do, and you're doing a lot of things that he's not. I don't know what those things are for you, but we functionally live like we're busier than Jesus and more essential than him. Look at Jesus' life. We're supposed to imitate his life. He knew exactly what he was be doing, and he did it all what the Spirit led him to do. This is why James is arguing, guys, to land the plane. He's arguing that our faith is not some privatized, separated over here thing. Like it's you and him every day and everything that you do. Like whatever he calls you to walk in, that's holy. That's because you're in him. Like you're submitted to whatever he says, and that, that, that's where the beauty is. And this is what he's showing us rather than this other thing where we say, well, Monday to Saturday is mine, then I'll give you Sunday. Man, that's like you, you know, being in your house and going, oh, I ain't feeling it. It's not date night, so leave me alone. Like, I mean, what to your spouse? Like, that makes no sense. Here he's showing us that it is integrated. It's together. We are with him every day. So when you get up tomorrow and you go to work, some of you guys, as you sit in your cubicle, you don't think to yourself, someday I'll serve the Lord. Someday I'll be faithful. No, you remember, no, today I'll serve the Lord in my cubicle. I'm but a mist. I don't know what's coming tomorrow. Some of you guys say, once I get married and have a family, then I'll serve the Lord. No, serve the Lord now. Exhaust yourself with your singleness. It's a beautiful gift from God, man. Some of you guys are like, man, once my kids get out of the home, man, then I'll exhaust myself and live and love Jesus. No, live and love him today. You're but a mist that appears for a short time, and he's calling you into good works today. Man, so much of us rob the glories of today because we're so preoccupied with what we want our future to be. We're just sitting and sitting and sitting and sitting going, okay, once this happens, when he, James says, no, it's sin that's God telling you to walk in something now and you're not doing it. And they're great glories. He wants to do something uniquely right now, today in the season you're in. He doesn't want you to miss it because you don't know if you're going to have tomorrow and you don't know what tomorrow brings. So there's this freedom he's given us in Jesus. So Jesus worshiped through hammering, listening, preaching, praying, sleeping, helping, serving, and ultimately dying and rising. So let's do all this as an act of worship. Lastly, live your life open-handed, not closed-fisted. Um, this is so important. Uh, God, my life is your life. It ain't mine. 
Uh, where are you holding on too tightly? What gods is he revealing? Don't, don't reorient that path. Don't change that direction. I planned out tomorrow. I planned out how I would live and what, how I would invest and what it would look like. I'm not sure if you knew this or not, as I said earlier, but when you became a Christian, you said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm letting all this go. Because there's more joy in letting go, as Mike said last week. Holding on too tightly is gonna rob us of the joy he's calling us into. One of the things I used to say to Kristen a lot when we first met, we were dating in college, was let's write out all these plans we've got. Remember, we wrote them in pencil and we gave God the eraser. All right, so let's do it. Let's make our plans. Let's make our dreams. Let's plan. Let's, let's pray. Let's seek counsel. Let's seek the word. And at the end of the day, remember, I don't have the eraser for it. And it was written in pencil, not permanent marker. I don't have final authority. I'm limited in nature. He's unlimited in his ways. He knows what's good for me. Is there a trust there for that? You know, um, I had plans when I was in college. Uh, graduate, play professional lacrosse, work in the business world and hand out Bibles on the hill in D.C., and never live in New Jersey. I'm serious. Isn't that crazy? I told my wife when we got married, I'll never live in New Jersey. I actually said that to her. Well, God has a sense of humor. And you know what happened? Uh, never played national lacrosse. God stumbled me into ministry, said I'm gonna make you a preacher, and I'm actually gonna have you plant a church, and guess where I'm gonna have you plant a church? In New Jersey. But I still remember the fear, the trembling. Remember us driving up the godforsaken turnpike. I just <laughs> still cringe when I think of it. And I remember, I mean, just so many tolls. I'm literally paying a mortgage on the tolls. <laughs> what is this? What? And it's just, I could tell you so many just, yes, I know you know what I'm saying. But we had both our cars. Kristen was in one car, I was in another car. And we had all that we had in our cars, and we were like little pilots in a little airplane. Everything else was around us, and, and I remember just even praying as we drove. I'd call her on the phone. We'd talk about it, and we'd say, man, we feel like you're leading this way, Lord. We've checked counsel. We've checked the word of God. We've asked community. We believe you're leading this way. We're stepping out of faith, but protect us if we're wrong, and we're going to follow you because you know our hearts are to serve you, and you just make plans like that. You're not closed-fisted, you're open-handed, and you follow his leading. And you know what? He asked him to protect you if you're wrong. But, but the, the lot is ultimately in the Lord's lap. So we can know his will for us. One thing, I'll, I'm going to say this and I'll close. Um, knowing his will, a great way to know is like buoys, when you pull into a dock, a big boat pulls into a dock. If all the buoys are in line, you know you're going to pull in straight. They're usually four. And if one buoy's out of alignment, probably reason to be concerned. Um, but if you talk to godly people, have you sought the word of God? It's not anti-word of God. Have you prayed? And circumstantially, uh, if one of those is like way out, there's reason to say, I don't know. Maybe there's something else I need to ask. But man, we've sought godly counsel. We've sought his words. This isn't against what he said for us. We've been praying and seeking his face. And man, just where God's placed us in our season, it seems like it's right. So let's take a step. Let's follow his leading and not miss today. Let's ask God for a lot of help because where is God revealing that you're boasting instead of planning? As you close your eyes, where is he revealing you're closed-fisted instead of open-handed? 
You know, one thing I've learned in my life is it's not unloving when God breaks the hand that's holding on to something detrimental to our soul. And maybe he wants to break your hand off of something that you are clinging to, a plan, a dream, a vision. And he's saying, you gotta trust me. You gotta submit to my authority and my ways. Others of you, maybe you're boasting still that you don't need him. That your plan for life is to somehow make it by trying to be good or trying to merit your way to him. It's a foolish life. Man, he wants to merit your whole way to his glory. He did it through Jesus, who lived the obedient, sinless life for you on your behalf, who died for you so you didn't have to have death defeat you, and rose validating that he was God in full authority and can free you from your enslavement to sin and selfishness and wanting to be God. You can repent and turn to him this morning. You can grab hold of Jesus and enjoy him now. You're but a mist. Do not put it off. Come to him this morning. Come to him for salvation. You will not be cast into judgment, but be brought into eternal life. Maybe some of you is revealing areas where you're clinging too tightly to the things that you love more than him. Maybe you just need to release those things to him this morning. Say, God, this is yours. I I need to trust you and submit to you. Maybe you've been living your whole life not through a posture of surrender, but through only obeying and following what Jesus says agrees with you. Maybe he's showing you that salvation is when you submit to him. Praise God you can trust him. Holy Spirit, would you lead our hearts and our minds right now? Would you help us know how to discern the places you're calling us to be faithful and obedient today. For some of us, it's repenting of a sin. It's coming out into the light. It's refusing to stay in the darkness. Would you give us the courage to confess to a pastor or to a brother or sister? For others of us, God, it's just confessing that we don't trust you, that we don't believe you're good, that we don't believe you can care for us, that we don't believe that your plan is better than ours, that we don't believe your will is better than our will. Can Can you just receive that from me, this confession that I have dishonored you in that way? For those of you, you know where God has been asking you to be faithful and take steps and you've refused to. Whether it's in your job, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's around specific friends, would you ask him for the courage to to walk in obedience, knowing it's for your joy? Father, you're so much bigger than us. You know so much more than us. You are holy. You created all that is. Help us to find rest under your care and lordship. Help us to be people that understand the brevity of life that propels us into obedience in our today. Help us to do the things that you've asked us to do. For if we don't, we see that it is sin. Help us to honor you now in those ways. The first being responding right now through song, through worship, through the supper. In Jesus' name, amen.